Welcome to Meet the New Boss, a riveting podcast series exploring how business leaders make their way in the world and how music has influenced who they have become. Here are your hosts, Vince Catanzaro and Jeff Neva. Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Meet the New Boss. I'm your co-host, Jeff Niebuhr, and this is uh, your other co-host... Vince Catanzaro. Vince Catanzaro. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day in North Georgia. Wintertime still, but sunny, cool, crisp. I like the sun more than the rain. That's perfect. Perfect. Me too. It was rainy and cold this week, and now it's sunny and cold, and I prefer that. So I think we're going to kick off with a little bit of music, uh, what's happening in our lives, and I'm going to start with the movie Goodfellas. It's a great, powerful soundtrack. Uh, I just happened to have watched it you know, last night. You brought it up, and I was like, well, I just watched that last night. So Vince, why did you bring that movie up? Is that uh, one of your favorite sound sound uh, track movies? Yeah, lots of great uh, music in that movie. Uh, a little bit of the Rolling Stones is in that movie. You got uh, Eric Clapton. I guess that would be the coda of uh, Layla when uh, they start finding all the bodies that Jimmy the Jet is leaving yeah. in his wake after they did the Lufthansa heist. Yeah. Interestingly, earlier they had uh, a cream song. Sunshine, oh, yeah. you uh, right? Oh, yeah. Dun, 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 it's the old joke. What's the uh, what do Eric Clapton and coffee have in common? Cream. I would They're both know. terrible without cream. Ah. It's terrible. <laughs> terrible. It's terrible. I have an Eric That's Clapton story. My ex-wife's aunt is is kind of hippie-ish. She's a great musician. She lives in Asheville and. She is like a kind of a folk band that you would, you know, you'd hope to see if you went to Asheville to some kind of hippie bar. And they're great. I've got their CD even. And so they're playing one night, and there's a lot of characters in Asheville, and they're playing like almost open live mic kind of thing. And but they're almost like the house band, so they're just playing, playing, playing. And this guy comes on stage and and asks to sing with them, and that's just common. There's people on and off the stage, and then eventually she gives him her guitar, and she comes down and has a drink and someone leans over and goes, what was it like playing with Eric Clapton? She's like, what? And there's Eric Clapton was there on stage with her in Asheville. And she didn't even know. She didn't even know. It's just like, you know, the lights and everything. And he was so chill. That's a great story. That's cool. That is a great story. So my- He played uh, her guitar. (laughs) My, um, my mom, who I visited last week at the Hoof and Wolf Farm, she um, she retired from IBM, and early in her career, IBM owned some commercial phone system, and Peter Frantham was getting like business equipment phones installed in his hmm. uh, condo. Right. And so she actually got to go visit Peter Frantham and got him to give me, my brother, and my sister autographs. Cool. So she makes the comments, and I'm like, these are kind of boring. And so he took a penny, and he taped a penny to the autograph. So I've got Aww. a Peter Frank, well, I don't have it anymore, but I had a Peter Frank the autograph with the penny. That's cool. Was he talking through that tube thing the whole time? Yeah, I don't believe he was. 
All right, uh, I, I'm going to throw out my favorite movie all time, favorite movie, favorite soundtrack, The Blues Brothers. Man, I wore that cassette tape out when I was a kid. I just loved every song. It had Aretha, Sam and Dave. In fact, in one scene, they're playing the cassette, Best of Sam and Dave. I think they have eight track. So I bought the cassette at, you know, Turtle Records. You, you, up, you, upgrade, you upgraded to it. It's an upsell. That's right. It, it friends up. So I had Sam and Dave, and I had the Blues Brothers soundtrack. Man, those were awesome. Awesome movie. Awesome soundtrack. It's really, it's a, it's a story of redemption. It's like a very global, speaks to uh, every person's story of finding redemption. It's great. In the Blues Brothers. In the Blues Brothers, yes. And that's Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi. Are those two? No, John Belushi. John Belushi, I meant John with Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd's with him. Dan Aykroyd, yeah, was great in it. John's great in it. I think he, I think he married Donna Dixon. You remember Donna Dixon? Mm, no. She was the mystery, beautiful woman in Wayne's World that Garth was in love with. Oh, really? Beautiful, beautiful model. I'll give you one little quick, quick little tidbit. I eventually liked the Blues Brothers so much. I set up a cassette tape to my VCR. I recorded the off the TV, right? and then I recorded the audio into a cassette tape, 90-minute cassette tape. So when I was on long drives, I could essentially watch the movie, just listen to all the dialogue of the movie while I was while I was driving. It was great. So it was like early on VCR in your car, I guess. So, yeah, and they had slightly different movie. versions of the songs in the movie than they were on uh, on the soundtrack. My one of my top three or four bass players of all time, Donald Duck Dunn, played bass for the Blues Brothers band. He also played bass for the Booker and the MGs, and he was on the original SNL band. So, all those guys in the Blues Brothers were top-notch session guys from the '60s and '70s. So where, where do you land on Spinal Tap? Are you a Spinal Tap? Guy? I love Spinal Tap. It's a it's a great when U2 was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know Bono talked first, and the Edge came up, and he was just talking about the whole rock style life, rock lifestyle, and being a rock star and how different it was. You know, I don't know if you know much about U2. They almost kind of broke up as a band because they kind of thought that lifestyle was not, you know, in line with their beliefs and whatever. And so he's like, well. The first time I watched Spinal Tap, I didn't laugh. I wept. It was just so real, so true. <laughs> and it's like, I just, we, they were like making fun of like, we're gonna go hang out on the other side of the lobby of the hotel, right, to try to look cooler. And he's like, I remember doing that as a kid. Just everything in it is so perfectly true. Uh, so yes, Spinal Tap is awesome. I I think Elon Elon Musk in the Tesla had put the volume to eleven in honor of Spinal Tap. Turn it up to eleven. Turn it up. It's special one. because if you can see, yeah, the numbers all go to eleven. Look, right across the board. Oh. Eleven, oh, eleven, most eleven, and then amps go up to ten. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not ten. 
You see, most most blokes, you know, be playing at ten. You're on ten here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on ten on your guitar. Where mm. can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere. Exactly. What we do is, if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? I put it up to eleven. Eleven. Exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make ten louder and make ten be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to eleven. That's right. All right, let's get into the meat of the, pro, uh, the uh, podcast today. Uh, enough about music. Let's talk about business. We were going to tackle a subject that's near and dear to your heart, and I'll see if I can add an anecdote here and there as I can. But this is, the topic is referral hiring. So for those of us out there who don't even know what that is, why don't you start and introduce that subject, Vince, and then we'll go from there. Sure. So uh, referral hiring, you know, in, all, in almost all, and certainly from mid-cap on up to enterprise corporations, there'll be a referral program. You know, hey, refer, uh, refer uh, a friend that comes to work here, you get 500 bucks, you know, hard to fill a job, software engineer, we give you $2,000, right? So many of these companies are going to external recruiting agencies to get these bills, so they see it as as cost savings and, and those type of things. But I think that uh, in, in these companies that they're missing, they're missing the boat, they're missing the mark. Because then the, what ends up happening is someone says, oh, hey, Jeff, I see you work at ABC Company. I'm interested in a job at ABC Company. Oh, great, we've got a referral program. Let me send you this link and you apply through this link. Right? Right. And I think that's probably the vast majority of how those programs get. So executed. you're saying it's not really like, oh, this is my friend Vince who I worked with for 20 years. I, I think he'd be great for this job. It's more somebody connected to me, some dude or lady or somebody. I don't even know. Right. Yeah. But I want the referral fee. So I say, hey, don't apply online. Apply to this link. Yeah, or even if you do know them, right? I think the, the message is the, the culture of the company needs to be drilled, right, into the, into the organization so that the organization truly has a culture, has a culture, uh, it doesn't really matter what their culture is. It could be a very hard-driving, it could be a Marine Corps-type culture. It could be a Ben and Jerry's-type culture, right? But it needs to be very, companies need to have a, a clearly defined culture, and the message is, when you meet people that match our culture, we want to bring them into our culture. And we want, you know, so you're always, you're trained by reinforcement, right? Because you can say it once, a big meeting, CEO gets up there and makes this announcement. And everyone says, ooh, that's a great idea. And then no one ever talks about it again. But, you know, if it's constantly reinforced that we are looking for this type of person over and over and over again mm -hmm. that when you start to see them in your everyday life you can start to identify oh this is this is the type of person that we want in our company whether they're an acquaintance or or not you know you can start to then bring in cultural mixes because i think i think if you bring in you can bring in great talent and if they're culturally mismatched it's like bringing in a great cancer. Hmm. Right? Oh, you know, they could be fantastic. They could be fantastic. But if they're counterculture to what you're trying to build, 
Mm-hmm. Everyone, they'll run everyone off. It, it'll just be a cancer. And it's not because mm-hmm. they're not talented people. They could be extremely talented. But mm-hmm. if they're the wrong culture, you're, you're killing you're killing your company. I've seen it. So happen. how do um, how do how should companies use a referral program? Are you saying that the only way to use it is we just do um, we we um, focus on the culture of the people coming in, or what's what's what makes sense to you? Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm not saying that you don't tie uh, a reward to it. I think re- people like to be rewarded for things. And so I think, you know, having a reward program around referrals is great. I think the CEO needs to, to own it, right? I think it's uh, it needs to have teeth, right? And it needs to be important. And, and companies, you know, that want great cultures or have a great culture and c- clearly define their culture and interview against, you know, cultural items, you know, hey, these are our core values, right? A, B, C, D. Mm-hmm. These are our core values. And we literally interview against our core values. We, we do reviews against our core values. Everyone understands our core values. And we're constantly talking during, you know, global town halls, group meetings mm-hmm. about about culture. And it's just something that has to be reinforced over and over and over again, right? It's not something that you just say, hey, we have a policy on it now. If you go look somewhere on our jobs page, we probably have a, a page about it and Human Resources owns it and it's sitting out there somewhere, right? That's kind of... Uh, what I, what at least I feel most companies are doing, and it's not, it's not landing, uh, as an area of importance. And, and I don't know. Every company is different, but I've read that the average business seventy percent of their expenditures are on people, and right, you know, right. it's your greatest expenditure, and it does not get nearly people do not get nearly the attention that they should be. In sports, t- in sports teams, they do right, and like in in great organizations, they do. Where you know you're looking at, oh my gosh, you know, as a sports fan, you can sit there and watch talent acquisition is the biggest thing. You know, people are weighing in on athletes making money. Like that guy's not worth; he's only worth three million dollars a year. You can't be paying him fifteen million dollars a year. That's crazy. You know. <laughs> But people are people are paying close attention to talent acquisition, right? When um, when it comes to stuff like that. So I, you know, I, as you know, I was recently in a job search mode, and I um, I came across two companies that use referrals, and they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. One company type is kind of what you described, where it felt a little bit like a multi-level marketing scheme, like. I would reach out to people, kind of, you know, my process on LinkedIn. Hey, you know, anybody, da, 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 da. And I would get that immediate, don't apply, send me, send me your resume so I can refer you. And like, these are people I've just introduced myself to on LinkedIn. So it was like, and a couple of people at that same company would do it. So I could tell they were very interested, not in me, really, not in their company, but they were interested in the money. Right. So it was, I felt a little bit like a, a product that was being sold maybe. And, and that's fine. And then another company, it was, 
immediate from several people in the company shutdown of, well, we don't do referrals here. You need to stand and live on your own application. The recruiting folks will look at it and they'll decide there's no influence from me that I could give them. And even if it's my job, I'm telling you, Jeff, I'm not, I can't really have anything outside the normal process of how we bring people in because, you know, they're so kind of anti-nepotism. They just want to make sure people are coming in on their own merit and not any kind of bias into the situation. So it was very interesting to see those two things in play. And I, I guess at some level, I'm not sure which one is worse or better. Uh, I don't know that I want to judge it, but just to point out that, as you were saying, the strong cultural ties, one company was very interested in referrals and was rewarding people for that. And the end result was they probably got more referrals that weren't real, right, than they really wanted. And then another company was so anti kind of referral that perhaps they missed out on some people. And this goes back to a little bit of what we've talked about before of if you're really great at writing resumes and interviewing, does that really mean you're going to be great at this particular job, right? Are those always the same skill set? Sometimes they are, yeah. but sometimes they're not. Yeah. So that goes back to the conversation we had I mean, probably a couple months ago, where there was the experiment in politics, where you know yeah, is really the random. best campaigner, <laughs> the best leader, right? Yeah, yeah. Two two different things. So um, yeah, it's a, that's a, a really interesting point. What about the idea that came up during that? Uh, quick little conversation of have you seen anyone who was potentially a great talent but that was very culturally different to the environment they came in and killed yeah. that culture yeah oh and killed the culture yeah. I was going to talk about a candidate that was not a great interviewer but turned out to be a pretty good technician let me tell that anecdote real quick and then maybe we'll yeah, get the culture killer. So this is a guy um, we hired right out of the army and he was very, very intelligent. And we were like, well, how was, and it was clear he knew all, all things technical and he was great. And so it was really just trying to get to some of those soft skills. And so we asked him, well, hey, what's, you know, we have this kind of elaborate change control process when we're making change it's very serious we're running this huge fortune 500 company we don't make changes in production unless it's all been approved and um what in the you know in your experience what did you have experience with that basically right he's like well yeah something similar it was um you had to notify like the commandant pretty high up if you had an outage that was more than 15 minutes and so he says well so i just made sure all my changes took less than 15 minutes and I'm like, you know, I'm like, what? That's the worst answer. But we ended up hiring him and true to form, he was a little bit on the edge, but he, uh, he took, he got us out of situations a lot often as well. He's super smart. So. Nice. All right. Well, uh, what else were we going to talk about? Were we going to talk, um, I, I was going to tell you an advertising story. Yep. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. So uh, changing changing gears a little bit in the business side, but uh, um, some of our earlier conversation reminded me of uh, a case study I did on uh, Smirnoff. I think people like vodka in general, right? so I thought a, a nice uh, subject to hit. So Smirnoff in the um, 
in uh, the 60s when it was coming, being imported into the United States, vodka being imported, uh, no one drank it. I mean, it was like no one drank vodka. It was, uh, and they couldn't get any traction. And they're spending big money on Madison Avenue with uh, some really big companies to, to make it happen and with no traction at all. And the case study was a physical properties case study. And so they moved it to a new ad agency. And in this new ad agency, they realized that um, uh, the AE realized that, you know, you can't really smell vodka, right? The odor is uh, pretty light compared to other alcohols. And so the campaign they came up with was Smirnoff, it leaves you breathless. And hmm. in six months, it was the number one selling alcohol in the United States and became the businessman's lunch alcohol and because of the physical properties of it. So people were drinking during the day is what you're saying. And that's what yeah. launched Smirnoff. Yeah. Well, it's just the fact that you can drink vodka without it really being on your breath. Right? So if you had a, <laughs> a, a lunchtime story. martini, yeah, well, it's just true. That's it. That was their big campaign. Right. It leaves you breathless. Cool. So how does that lead into kind of branding and marketing? Do you want to talk about an aspect of your personal brand or a company brand? What's your oh, we, we could talk. I mean, so personal brand is uh, is an area that I think people are really interested in, and I and when I have people, I all the time, multiple times a week, have conversations with people who are entering job search, looking to figure out from a resume perspective how to find the next job, take the next step, and I always have uh, the personal branding conversation with them. And, you know, and I use tools, right? So I have like the predictive index and I could, you know, identify what their behavior style is and, and those kind of things. But they're very simple. Do you recommend people actually you. put that on their resume or their LinkedIn? No, um, no, I don't recommend it, but I recommend they know it because then they can mm -hmm. highlight. So the more, the more you could make yourself a human in LinkedIn and on your resume, right? Uh, the, I think the more likely you'll be hired, right? Because, you know, although people fill roles, they hire people, right? And so if your work style comes across, right, your professional reputation comes across, then, then it puts the hire a little bit more at ease because they feel like, okay, when I hire Jeff, I'm getting this kind of person. And I don't know why I think that. Maybe it's from conversation. It's, it's all those things. It's conversation. Mm -hmm. It's LinkedIn. It's your resume. But if you are if you understand your personal brand, and the more you're able to bring that forward, mm -hmm. the uh, the better the people talking to you are going to feel about you. As long so as what's like your brand. advice to people? I, I find when people come to me for help, um, they... They start with, well, I don't, I don't really know what my personal brand is, right? I'm a worker. Yeah, I like so working. I like this kind of work. And that's not really enough to say, this is my personal brand. So how, what's your advice to people where they're just starting out and haven't even thought about it? Yep. This is, this is uh, I say, um, reach out to 20 people that know you best. Family, friends, former coworkers, current coworkers, doesn't even matter. First three words that come to your mind to describe me. And I'll ask this a lot in an interview question. Hey, Jeff, so if, mm -hmm. I, if I met you, I met your, uh, your girlfriend at, uh, at a bar, right? And we just happened to be talking and she's telling me about her great boyfriend, Jeff, and he loves music and blah, blah, blah. 
And I said, well, describe Jeff to me in three words. What three words would she give me, right? Yeah. And so um, so I'd go and collect those three words from the people that know you the best and get tw- at least 20 of them. So I'll give you 60 words. And what you'll see is that you do have a brand, right? There'll mm-hmm. be certain words repeated over and over and over again. And, uh, and then you can kind of morph them. I-, I went through the exercise, and I remember one of the things that came back pretty predominantly for me was uh, – that I was, uh, that I would tease people. That I was like, like, like a ball buster type mm. guy, right? And I changed that to fun loving in my mm. description of myself. Mm, right? Good, that's smart. That's what I'm doing. I'm having fun, but you know the, uh, but you know it's like uh, hardworking, um, intelligent. You know those those things will come, right? You know. Um, and I do it with people all the time, and they're able to take those words and really come up with. This is uh, this is kind of who I am, right? You know, and uh, and so if you could, you know, that's not using any tools. That's not going out and buying books. That's not using software. Right. That's just a well, simple that's, exercise. Yeah, it's a tool that you, you know, a spreadsheet. Yeah, just simple, right? <laughs> just yeah, just you could do it on pen and paper. But yes, the yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. just go out and collect the collect those words and that'll give you a good start i always like tell people too like you know i can toothpaste so crest for whatever reason maybe because they were first to it owned fighting cavities right mm-hmm. so the the truth of it is all toothpaste that has fluoride in it fights cavities right because it's the fluoride that fights the cavities not the toothpaste right, right? and so the uh, so but crest owns fights cavities so everyone else had to come up and be number one in a different niche. And so over the course of time, that was like spill-proof pumps. It was baking soda, total care, whitening, minty breath, right? So so all these other toothpastes had to come up with a different angle to, to find their niche because they couldn't compete with Fights Cavities because... Crest had already dominated that. Crest owned that that uh, brand, so oh. yeah. so it's important. Everyone's unique. Everyone should know their personal brand and be able to tell a story. What's your kiss tie into the show today? As you know, we're actively seeking a kiss sponsorship for the oh, podcast. Uh, yeah, so, so kiss our, our eventual our contract branding, will require I mean, some sort of mention of kiss every time. I don't know if we. I mean, branding kiss kiss the. Uh, a brilliant who had the businessmen behind Kiss that got them going. Uh, branding, they own branding as a band. They're fantastic at it. They uh, all over the world, every place of the planet. If you see Kiss and makeup, people know who that is. It's crazy. Whether it's Kiss coffins, Kiss cars, Kiss tampons, Kiss dolls. Kiss lighters, kiss, yeah, you name it. You know, they did uh, Plymouth. Did, remember the Plymouth Prowler, kind of the uh, really. convertible sports car that they did? They had a kiss version of the Prowler. And it had a little toe behind amplifier. That you really? Toe behind it. Yep. yep the, yeah, so they uh, so they took brand. They had the kiss f- football team, arena league football team. They they brand. They stick. That's they funny. stick their. They stick their name. Uh, just about on anything. I'll do a culture corner today on the racy chart. You ever done a racy chart? Uh. Uh-uh. So racy is a tool from the kind of 
project management concept. And some, sometimes it adds a lot of clarity. If there's a big, it was kind of developed for big programs where you have a lot of people, a lot of teams doing a lot of stuff. Um, before the idea of racy, and I'm, I'm sure we can all give anecdotes, sometimes it gets confusing when you say, well, who's going to do this task, right? And you start to think about all the people involved in the particular task. If it's a complex project, you probably have people that are actually doing it. Then you maybe have somebody who is like at the project meetings that actually is responsible for it. And then you have people that need, you know, that we need to approve it, right? Some people that just need to be informed. And so RACI was a way to kind of delineate those roles. So R is responsible, A is accountable, C is consulted, and then I is informed. So just put in an R, A, C, I next to each task and then fill out. Sometimes it's the same person, right? Smaller projects, but uh, I would say that using a RACI chart can add clarity if a project plan is not progressing, especially if there's multiple people on it. So that's my culture corner for the day. Nice. That's the opposite of the everybody, somebody, anybody, anybody nobody story. You know, Tell me that story. I don't think I know that. No, the story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. That sounds like an Abbott and Costello bit now all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, it's just the opposite, right? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Third base. I don't know. Third base. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Meet the New Boss. Uh, my name is Jeff Neighbor. And I'm Vince Catanzaro. You guys have a great week. We'll talk to you next time. You have been listening to Meet the New Bus with Vince Catanzaro and Jeff Niebuhr. Available on Apple Podcasts and other streaming platforms. Please like and subscribe. Meet the New Bus is sponsored by Rene Vincent Executive Placement LLC. Contact Jeff at jeff.niebuhr at iCloud.com or find him on LinkedIn at Jeff Niebuhr. Contact Vince at Vincent at ReneVincent.win or find him on LinkedIn at Vincent Catanzaro. Bumper music provided by The Who and Budafi. Additional engineering provided by Just-In-Time Recordings. All material 100% controlled by Vincent Catanzaro and Jeff Niebuhr. Unauthorized reproduction is prohibited by law. Meet the new bus.